Hey, oh, River. It is the 10th episode of The West Noise, and I'm really proud of that fact. I didn't know how easy this was going to be or how much I'd follow through on it, but I feel I've been consistent, and I've been really happy with what I've made. I know the show's not perfect, and I'm still sort of scattered, but I'm 10 episodes in, and that's a milestone, and my first milestone. So I appreciate anyone who has listened. It really means a lot to me, and I hope you continue to. If so, I I really thank you if you take the time to listen to me talk. Because <laughs> I don't know if anything that I'm saying has any any value or importance. But anyways, my guest today, director David Hines, who just released a movie called American Folk. He directed, wrote, and edited it, which is really cool. It's about two folk singers who were on an airplane in New York on the day of September 11th, and their flight gets sent down, and they land in California. They're strangers, mind you, and they road trip from California to New York, meeting interesting people along the way, and it's a very simple movie, and it's very heartwarming, and it's refreshing, especially now, and I think it's a a movie that we need to watch right now. So we got to chat about that and some other stuff, and I'm really thankful to have gotten to. I want to be in movies eventually, and it was really special to get that insight from someone who's been in that for some time, and he gave me a lot of hope, and he's very sincere, and I appreciate that. So if you get the chance, check out American Folk, directed by David Hines, my man, wherever movies exist, and give some support. So thank you so much again for listening, if you do. And here's my conversation with David Hines. For sure, because I feel like you have to exercise your own thoughts, and then, like, there's that certain level of achievement where you're like, I did something I wanted to, but then to have to share that, yeah, especially on a mass audience. What was your, yeah, what was your original intent of like, how would you want people to react optimally? I would like for the film in a perfect world to open people up in a way. I, I, there was a review about the movie that came out 
a few days ago, and and the reviewer said something to the effect of, "It's a, it's a story about what can happen when people let down their barriers," and I was I was really encouraged by that because that really, in a funny way, it's better than I've ever vocalized it, but that's really what the idea was about for me. So what I mean by that is, is like, I, I made the film in part because of the feeling I felt in the country, at least my experience of the country in the days after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I felt like people were opened up in a really unique way. You know, people sort of recognized their fellow human in a different way than I had seen before. And I had that idea for a long time. I had heard all the stories, of course, of when the FAA grounded flights, of people being stranded all over the country and, and uh, you know, hopping in random rental cars with strangers and, and traveling across the country mm-hmm. in the days after 9-11, which I, right away, I thought, oh, wow, that's an amazing story. And I read all the first-hand accounts. Two of my uncles, in fact, made made those trips, oh, wow. similar trips in the days after 9-11. So it was a story that I was well aware of, as I think many people were at that time, but it wasn't until years later when I realized that that feeling, that openness, that vulnerability of, of like letting your barriers down, that feeling, I haven't experienced it that much in my life, and one of the times I have experienced it is with music, um, particularly like live music, being at a show or maybe a situation Best where feeling. somebody, yeah, that, that sort of openness and connectedness. Yeah, for sure. You know, I totally get that because like when you're at a concert, you're talking to people and you're with people who love something exactly as much as right. you do. So, yeah, like the way I behave at a concert is different than I do in any other social setting because because you just you yeah, you assume that the person you're talking to is going to be just as hype about what you're saying. And so, like, that's kind of what it was then. Like, it was just that everybody needed that extra support and like that extra pat on the back. So, yeah, Yeah, I I like that relationship to think about that. Yeah, it was like all of a sudden, like, okay, so when you when you leave a a great show, you've just seen like a really terrific show and you you're leaving and there's that moment where depending on the size of the venue, everybody's like kind of crammed at the door making Mm -hmm. their way out. I always have like a really like a jolt of excitement as I'm leaving a right. show like that, and even though it's kind of a pain when everyone's like packed in like sardines, mm-hmm. you just sort of feel connected in a different way. With I know. I've had so you many people, people just are... like hug me. I just hugged strangers because yeah. you're just like, holy shit! Like that. That was just so good. Like that was. I don't even know you, but I like yeah. And you just meet so many people, and nobody right. cares. Nobody cares because you all came there for like that one thing. And and it's like in that moment what you have in common is bigger than what than the differences which, which yeah. is like all we ever focus on right and and that's the feeling i had you know on 911 and the days immediately after 911 was it was like all of a sudden this insane thing that was happening and like destroying so many people's lives and changing the world forever suddenly this experience, living through this experience was, um, was something we had in common, and those similarities were greater than what we didn't have in common. So there was a connectedness there. It's, now, it's look, so I mean, there was, like, you know, many instances of, like, you know, racial profiling and xenophobia mm-hmm. and all these things that came about. Certainly, we can't discount that stuff. But I, I have to say, like, in my experience for the for the majority of the time it was an overwhelmingly connected and sort of unified moment in history and it felt like it was worth documenting in a way it's just so sucky that it took something like that for so much humanity to come about like not not that humans aren't compassionate but like that doesn't just happen every day where there's just a surge you know right and it takes something huge to kind of I know. Like make us see it for some reason. And see, I'm in a unique position because I'm only 18 years old. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I wasn't. So you were, wait a second. 
So you were. I was one. I was one year. I, oh I have. Gosh. Right. I have. So you don't really know the. No. Get a sense. Like, That's why this is so interesting to me. No, and see, this is why it's so fascinating to me because I watch yeah. movies like that where this—that's my window to it. Right. Like I right. hear, I hear my parents talk about it. I I hear adults talk about it, but like right. it's like that, like films and documentaries. That's when I really get a true like understanding of it. So that that's why I'm just so fascinated with it. And I was so excited for this because I just love to hear. Because you're right, like, I had no idea what it was like before then. And you hear, I just hear people say, like, the airports were so open, you could bring a gun right onto the plane, like, just things like that. And I'm like, I have no idea, because I don't know what that's like. And so, yeah. It's it's been interesting showing younger people the film, um, because of that thing you're talking about, not having an understanding of Mm -hmm. what the world was like before it, and also not really getting to experience it, um as it was happening because I remember we showed the film early on to some people who were a little bit older than you but, mm-hmm. but not much older and they were like in grade school at the time and they didn't really know what was going on like the teachers didn't know how to kind of explain it to the kids right. so they kind of just kept kids sheltered and then when they got home their parents weren't really sure how to explain terrorism to like an 8 year old right. they kind of didn't it was only as people got older that they started to kind of really unravel what happened that day. But even in doing that and like reading about it or learning about it in history books or something, you don't have that that sort of experiential right. knowledge of what it felt like. It's the feeling it's, of it. It's know? so crazy to me that like when I heard about 9-11, like by the time I was able to comprehend it and understand the motives behind it and what it was about, it was history. Like it was yeah. just something that happened that changed everything. Where right. Everybody in my life around me lived through that, so it's right. just it's just such a unique event that has such a vast difference in like perspective on it. So that's why I feel like it's yeah. like my obligation in a way to take advantage of that and yeah. and try to understand as much as possible. And like I love the movie for that reason because I felt like I got to take a glimpse into that, and like I just I appreciate that, and I I think it's going to resonate with with younger people to, for that reason alone. Not that it won't with others, but like for that reason alone, I think it will do well with that because it, it it gives me a window of empathy into that situation that like I can't actually have because I wasn't old enough to like understand it, if that makes sense. Right. That's nice to hear. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I agree. Like I think, you know, it's historians – and maybe you could even argue documentarians' jobs to, uh, you know, sort of record and document history. And maybe I think you could make the argument that it's like artists, people who are doing narrative work or, or musicians or, or any number of different mediums. Like maybe it's our job to document the feeling of of what it's like to live through different times, you know? Yeah, for maybe sure. it's our job to like maybe the value we have in the world is, you know, giving that feeling of what it was like to to be here and now in a particular moment in time, right? Yeah. I mean, I I actually plan to go into movies, that's what I want to do ultimately. Oh cool. And I feel like that is that would be my primary purpose. Cause I I think I'm leaning towards documentaries like very real documentaries, not a lot of not a lot of voiceovers or reenactments or any of that, but just like going to a place, finding a unique person and just like recording them. Yeah. Because like that that I feel like that is the base of what like film is, is you're just like that's a tech that's a technology's purpose is to just record. It's to like take a yeah. take a moving picture of that event and what's happening and not that i don't love fiction fictional films or realistic fictional films because that's my whole thing but yeah for sure like that's that that is the primary job beyond like like fast and furious movies and superhero movies like right not that they're not fun you know for some people but like like i could never make that because i feel like i would just be wasting the opportunity to make something so much more visceral and yeah. actually empathetic and trying. Not that there isn't a place for movies like that, because there's also a lot of merit in 
being able to watch something that distracts you or takes your mind off of things yeah, for a while and lets you have fun. There's total value yeah. in that. There's total value in that. But um, but I agree with you, and I and I'm really proud of you know do, trying to do just that. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it took so much time and effort and energy to make my own film that now having done it kind of looking back on it i'm really proud of the fact that i decided to make something really positive and also kind of the attempt was to make it um emotionally vulnerable and also emotionally true to authentic to what i felt at that time and I, i do feel like we accomplished that but um i share your desire to make a documentary because i do feel like in this day and age, like it's hugely important to try to get authentic truth out there. There's so much happening with, uh, you know, social media mm-hmm. and uh, news kind of being quickly biased in a way that it's, you know, it's it's a little bit. Um, it feels like we need more truth tellers out there yeah, for, for sure. sure. So if you ever make a documentary, let me know. I'll try to help you out any way I can. Well, thanks, man. I, I definitely will. I just don't know what yet. <laughs> I'm just waiting. I got an idea for you. Here, yeah? I'll, I'll give you this documentary idea, and if you like it, you can go make it. Thanks, man. So, you know, you heard about this missile uh, scare in Hawaii, right? Yes, I did. So for 40 minutes, I think it was 38 minutes yeah, people between thought the time they sent that out the it. text and the time they sent out a correction text. Yeah. Everyone in Hawaii thought they were going to die. Yep, that was it. Like, real palpable so, yeah. doom. I can't even you imagine. You know, I saw a video of, like, a guy lowering his kids down into a storm drain. I mean, people were just freaking out. They didn't know what to do. And some people said, you know, they they freaked out at first and then realized, well, if a missile's actually coming, there's no way any of us are going to survive it. So then they just decided to kind of, like, go to the beach and enjoy themselves or whatever. Which is so depressing. And, so I think that what I'm curious about is to see how that experience affected people. Like, I would like to go and interview people in yeah. Hawaii right now who had a who had a harrowing 38 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And then go back in like I don't know six months or a year from now, interview those same people, see if they've made any changes in their lives, right? And and if so, what are they? Because I think those people, as crazy as that experience is, those people may very well have learned something super valuable yeah. about about their lives or just like life in general in that time. They had an insight and maybe a clarity that like you or I don't really get mm-hmm. in our day to day lives. I'm really curious to know if like that experience is going to affect the whole population of people or not it could be really interesting right there's no way to like imagine that like they literally thought they were going to die like they were ready like it's just strange that like things like that are going to be what are in history books and like like hawaii thought they were going to die because there was a error (laughs) (laughs) with like iphones like and then year, you know, generations from now, somebody will read that in the history books, and and it'll be like a two sentence thing, right? And it, it, and then that person will think, oh, I bet that was crazy, right. but that will be the extent of it. <laughs> they won't have any. They really won't have any like true sense of what that felt like as a human being. Yeah, I'd love. To that's a great idea. I would love to talk to those people. Take it. Run with it. I mean, if I can get to Hawaii, that's all yours. <laughs> that's all yours. You gotta figure it. Out. You gotta figure out how to make it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta get to Hawaii with a camera. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Broke up a little bit. I just gotta get to Hawaii with a camera. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh no. There you go. You're better now. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. you can't scare me like that. <laughs> I just I just said you got to get to Hawaii with a camera. That's all. Yeah. Okay. You do it. Go take that idea. Go take. I'll it try, man. That's all you. I like I said. I have no idea what I'm gonna do though. I I have so much more. Cause I'm in college, so, and I'm I'm only in my second semester of my freshman year, so I already I still have so much time. Cause I'm I'm going to school for film. So. Where are you going to school? 
Uh, it's Eastern Michigan University. It's in Michigan, Ypsilanti. Okay. So it's, cool. a, it's a nice little place. But I'm, I went to Columbia in Chicago. I wanted to go there. At, w- at yeah. one point, that was on my list of places. That's cool, though. I know I know multiple people that are going there. Actually, one of my best friends is going there for film. So that's that's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a great program. It's it's actually I I was really happy with it when I was there. I was there, I guess, about fifteen years ago or so. Mm-hmm. But I I know that that program has grown a lot, and a lot of filmmakers have come out of that program since then. So I think it's great. And and another cool thing was when I don't know if this is still the case or not, but when I went there, it was open admissions, huh. which I just thought was great because. Yeah. You know, like, what does it really matter what your GPA mm-hmm. was or whatever? If you actually have a love and a desire right. to to do this, to do film, that's kind of really the only prerequisite in my mind. For sure. Um, so it attracted a really, yeah, interesting group of people. I saw a really diverse group from people all over, all walks of life, all different ages. We had a lot of older people in my class, people that were kind of going back to school or That's trying for a second career. And it, yeah, it just made for a really interesting, uh, just an interesting situation when you would make a, a film and show it and then hear everybody's opinion in class. I thought it was a really valuable experience mm-hmm. for me. How, how did you go from that to like what you did with visual effects and editing? Like how did you, because I have no idea how the industry, I guess you want to call it. Yeah. Like, how do you even get into that? Or how do you just start to tack on little bits on your resume on different movies? Especially considering yeah. some of the movies that you've worked on aren't just any movies. Like, they're actual. Yeah. Like, how does that come about? So, for me and almost everybody I know who who are working in the film industry... Um, it was just a total leap of faith, honestly. Um, I was going to school in Chicago. Um, I grew up outside of Chicago. Most of my family is still there. Pretty much all my family is still there. Oh, cool. Um, and, but I knew since I was young that I wanted to do movies. I wanted to somehow be involved in, in movie making. I wasn't sure how until I got into school and started you know, learning more about each aspect of it. And I realized that editing was really something I responded to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought it was kind of a, a somewhat marketable skill I could learn in school and then maybe try to get a job uh, doing yeah. that in some way. But essentially my plan was this, like <clears throat> I was going to school and I was working um, and I was just saving up as much money as I possibly could my senior year, I lived with, at my parents' house, which wasn't the most fun. I didn't have, like, the, the craziest college experience <laughs> ever, but I was intent on trying to make a go of it in the film industry, and I was fairly convinced at that point that in order to do that, I needed to move to either New York or Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbia, the college, had just started a, a program in L.A. It was a writing program. Um at the CBS studios in Radford. And so I applied to that program and I got in. So basically my last semester in college, I came out and studied in LA as part of my school. And I just, you know, as I said, I was saving up money before I came out. So I had, I knew I could, I had enough money to live for like about three months. (laughs) Um, and I didn't know, I had never been out to L.A. before. I didn't know a single person out here. I just thought, okay, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do this writing program. And then in the three months I can afford to live there, I'm just going to do whatever I can to try to get in. Um, and then uh, and then I just packed up and moved out. And it was a total leap of faith. And, and you know, I met a few people through the program and then um, a couple friends moved out and they met a few other people and it was just like, you know, you kind of build on these relationships slowly but surely and and I got an internship uh, answering phones and making coffee and reading scripts and and then I got offered a a PA, like an entry-level position. Um, in an in an editing room, and I was just over the moon about that. And um, and from there on out, it's just really a matter of meeting people 
and a lot of people think it's like schmoozing or fast talking or something like that like that is not the case at all really mm-hmm. you just meet people who you get along with and who want to work with you and you know think you're smart or, or <laughs> like something about your attitude and they you know they offer you the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the greatest advice I've I've ever given, I think, to people who are interested in getting into the industry is to just say yes to stuff. You just have to say yes to stuff. Because the first big break I got, I was working on this movie called Underworld, and uh, and the Underworld movie did fairly well, and they needed somebody to come in and work with the director to put together like um, an extended cut of the of the mm-hmm. movie and it really wasn't that involved of a job because all the scenes had already been cut it was really just like going into the timeline of the movie and figuring out what the, the scenes were that they edited and putting them back into the movie in the right place mm-hmm. and then just kind of showing it to the director and it wasn't a very you know intense job but right. it involved working on a piece of software called an Avid, which um, I hadn't done in a few years at that time and was a little nervous about doing, but I knew as soon as I got asked to do it by the producer that it was a great opportunity. So I just, he was like, uh, how are you How are you on the Avid? Are you, you feel comfortable on the Avid? And I was like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> like no problem at all. That's, that's like a total non-issue. And this was on a Friday. And he was like, okay, great. On Monday, the director's going to come in and you're going to sit with him and you're going to put the extended cut together. And I was like, yeah, no problem, man. That's going to be, <laughs> that's nothing. And then, uh, and then, of course, all weekend I freaked out and I, you know, read every everything I could get my hands on and talked to all my friends who had worked on Avid recently and tried to, like, get a refresher course on it. And then um, came in Monday and just sort of stumbled through it, you know. But if I had if I hadn't said yes to it because I was nervous about, you know, oh, am I am I going to remember enough about Avid or, um, you know, am I really ready to do this or any of that stuff? If there are any number of reasons that caused me to get nervous enough to say no, I wouldn't have gotten that break. That break would have passed me by. I would have gone to somebody else. And I wouldn't have gotten in good with that director, uh, which I did. I ended up working on the sequel to Underworld, and then he made a uh, Die Hard, one of the Die Hard movies. So I worked on that with him, and then that was the first movie I did for Fox. And then I met some really great people with Fox through that movie, and then just kept working with them. And and it's just like you know, one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden, after you know a decade, you feel like oh, I. I guess I'm kind of doing it now. I'm kind of doing it. It's so crazy I... how fast, like, you just meet people. Like, I'm I'm just speechless right now hearing about it because I've never really heard, like, a firsthand experience of it. That's so, that's just so cool. Yeah. It's, you it, know, it gives it, me hope. It absolutely, man. There, There is absolutely, there's no reason... A smart guy like yourself couldn't. Thank you. If you wanted to move out to LA and start making a go of it in the movie industry. You trying really? to make me drop out? <laughs> Say again? You trying to make me drop out right now? <laughs> <laughs> drop out and come out west. You got a place? <laughs> no, you should finish school for sure. But um, if you, if you, do you have any thoughts of, of coming out to Los Angeles? Just know that. Um, it's not as crazy and as scary as people make it out to be. I think if you have the right attitude and you have the confidence that just have that sort of crazy confidence that it's all going to work out and have that, that sort of chutzpah it takes to say, Great word. yeah, I can, I can do that. I love that word. <laughs> when in the back, yeah, totally. When in, <laughs> in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, oh, I don't know, can I actually do that? You know? You can, and it, and you have to take the leap. And I think taking the leap when you're young is uh, is really the way to go, for sure. I mean, that's what I me. I constantly think that I'm I'm constantly terrified because I just 
Because what I've always, always wanted to do is write books. Like, mm. since, I was, since I was a little kid, I've always just wanted to write books. And yeah. then, like, as I've written, not that I don't want to do that still, for some reason, as I write, I always, I have to picture it as a movie. Like, I have to envision it, like, very vividly. Like, even shots and, like, things like that. It just always comes to me like that. And so, I, it's just weird that, like, I came, I, back in September, I came to school, like, dead set on doing nothing but writing novels like thinking film was always an option that I've, I've always wanted to work in multiple things and then like already now it's january and i'm like i'm i'm already I already changed my major and i'm i'm already changing my what where i'm trying to go is specifically into film and it's just i don't know it's just weird and, and it, it's so scary it's all part of the process right i mean it's uh, it's crazy to ask you know teenagers like hey what do you want to do the rest of your life there's no way to know there's no way to know <laughs> there's just no way <laughs> i know people my age and older who have no idea what they want to do right with their lives you know honestly man i in australia i think i think it, i think it's australia i'm pretty sure after you finish high school and before you go to college everyone takes like a year off to go travel that sounds cool and I think that's just the best idea ever. Go out, like, get a little bit of experience and, and see the world a little bit and then come back with a general idea of maybe what you want to study or what interests right. you a little bit more. Uh, why not? If you can afford right. to do it, why the heck not, you know? And I, I've I've never been, like, past, like, Tennessee. Really? Just, like, to the west. No, I, I've I've only been to Canada once. I've never been out of the country. You gotta take a road trip. So I just I, I plan to. I, I really really want to. Now that I'm eighteen and I'm I'm gonna have a nice big summer after college. I wanna just go totally. meet people. And there's a You absolutely should. That's what I did when I was writing the movie. I uh, I rented a car because I had an older car and I didn't think my car could make it. So I rented <laughs> a car. I I made sure I asked them like twenty times and double checked all the fine print that it was unlimited mileage. <laughs> and once I was convinced that it was, I drove from California to New York and then New York to California. And I, I took like three weeks. I was on my own. I ended up meeting up with some friends. I actually ended up picking up my dad in Chicago and he drove back the last leg of the trip oh, wow. with me, which was awesome. Um yeah, his dad, my grandfather, had just passed away a couple months before, mm. and so it was a really nice, yeah, it was just a really nice experience with my dad, kind of talking about grandpa, and mm. him and I were camping along the way, and it was great, but you know, everybody I met on the road when I was driving, because I was sort of doing this thing where I I didn't have an, uh, a definitive route set, like I knew mm-hmm. there were places I wanted to go and people I wanted to see. But day to day, like moment to moment, I didn't really know. I didn't have like a specific, uh, you know, route. I just had this old atlas that my dad <laughs> gave me. Um, it was my grandpa's atlas. And I would just, every morning I'd wake up and I would look at this atlas and I would figure out, you know, what I wanted to see and where I wanted to go. And then all along the way, I just stayed open to people. Like I just... You know, I would go, I would stop somewhere for lunch, and I would find some little diner, and I'd just be totally open to striking up a conversation to the waitress or the guy sitting next to me or anybody. And in doing that, I just met some amazing people and heard some really incredible stories and saw the, the country in just a totally different way. It was super exciting, and I also found that a lot of people I talked to were, were actually really jealous of my trip. Cause they, I am. Because <laughs> they a lot of people want to take that sort of like great American road trip and they never get the chance to or maybe never seize the opportunity when they mm-hmm. have the chance to. And um, I thought it was absolutely amazing. One bit of advice I would give you if you do end up doing something like that is you have to get off the interstates like the big the big highways that run through the country mm-hmm. um, they're the most efficient ways to sort of get get from point A to point B but if you're really just going for a road trip what you have to do I think 
is get on the little two-lane highways and follow them, you know, through the country. It'll be a slower, more scenic kind of winding route, but it's totally worth it because these two-lane highways, they all kind of become Main Street as they move through these small towns. So you, yeah, you just get a better... You just get actually, actually uh, you get a feel for the country driving through it, as opposed to just being on the interstate where it's all like billboards and right. Starbucks and Cracker Barrels and you know <laughs> just all this stuff along the way. But um, I think you know, in some ways, that's why like road trip movies have become a, their own kind of genre and have like sustained over the years. Is I think people like people really appreciate seeing the country in that way so hopefully there's a there's a draw to our film in that regard too yeah i feel like everybody wants to do that just take a road trip you got me so inspired now (laughs) you mentioned earlier about going to concerts i'm curious to hear what kind of music you like what with all the folk music like what kind of stuff do you listen to and what kind of shows do you go to yeah, it just depends on where I am and when I'm available. I try to keep it pretty open. I try to, I guess that maybe I I veer a bit more towards towards rock and folk and those types of things than I do like hip hop. So mm-hmm. I've definitely been to a fair amount of shows. I I, I uh, was in New Orleans recently for Jazz Fest, Ooh. and that that's a what a great town New Orleans is, and and Jazz Fest is an absolute. It's just crazy. It's so much fun. They've got all different types of acts there, and yeah, I mean, it just depends on um, where I'm at and and what I'm seeing. I mean, sometimes the small, intimate shows, just just a musician and a guitar, are some of the most oh yeah powerful in a way, you know. And I think I, I think there's an intimacy intimacy to that that's really always spoken to me honestly like i don't know if i I guess singer songwriter stuff i I gravitate towards yeah um definitely folk i i to be honest though like i learned a lot about folk music in making this film i didn't Hmm. come at it with this like huge breadth of knowledge it was something i sort of researched and learned a lot about in making this film but yeah i guess if i I don't know if i had to pick one type of music it would i guess maybe rock or Hmm. um yeah, sort of singer songwriter. Do you do you have favorites? Um, like a select few you listen to, or sure. Yeah, um, I've been a big Elliott Smith fan for a long time. Oh yeah. Um, I think uh, more recently, Bonnie Vare has has been something I've been I love that. stuck on. I love that man. Yeah, that music just kicks my ass. There's the um, um they're releasing the anniversary edition of For Emma forever ago in February. Yeah, it's been ten years. That's huh? crazy. I'm I'm super excited about that. There's like a huge show in Milwaukee, I think. Where they oh, gotta go. I want to so bad, dude, but You gotta go. I've never <laughs> seen him live or actually wait, I take that back. I saw him on the um self titled tour here in Oh you ass in LA. That was a great <laughs> show. That was a great show. I want to see him. Um, do you ever watch the takeaway shows online? Yeah. Uh, it's this guy in yeah. Paris, Vincent Moon, he does all these. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. a great one with Justin Vernon, um, this takeaway show they did in Paris. I don't know where he was, but it was just a small gathering of people like up on this top floor in this building in Paris, and, and he's playing at night by candlelight. It's totally a must-see wow. if you're a fan, for sure. I don't think I have. I, I definitely want to. He has, I know he performed, um, his last album, 22, he performed it like live in its entirety and it just sounds like a completely different record. And I love that. I'm sure. I listen, I listen to that a lot, like way more than I do the actual studio version because his voice is just, oh, so good. And the yeah, the way really the auto tune like converts live just sounds different, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I just love all his music for sure. Yeah, he's tapped into something. I mean, I feel like he's really, he's tapped into that emotional vulnerability in a really unique way. And also his willingness 
to experiment and try different stuff. I really admire mm-hmm. that. I mean, look at his, look at this album compared to his last album, or compared right. this album to his first album. I mean, it's just it's, it sounds like a different artist in some right. ways, in terms of style and musicality and approach to it. And um, anybody that has that level of success and then and then is willing to try something brand new, I think you got to respect that for, for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. And he's like worked with Kanye, so it's like <laughs> I know. it's not like he's just in one vein, you know. Which is weird. Yeah, definitely. You know, and also he kind of you know he's been a musician around for a long time. But my understanding of his kind of breakthrough was was that um, that album for Emma, and mm-hmm. that I think was largely just him alone in a yeah. I know it sounds so fake. <laughs> I feel like you always hear that like he locked himself away and All just right. wrote. It's like, but it sounds like it. Like it's exactly what it, it does. Is. The story I heard was that he had a breakup or something. And yeah, he was there to kind of, and and this, these songs were kind of a cathartic thing for him that he just laid down, mm-hmm. uh, not really thinking he put it out necessarily, but he played it for some friends, and his friends were like, "This is amazing. You got to put this out." And so all of a sudden, this thing that he was doing so personally. And, you know, authentically, he wasn't putting on a show for anyone. He was actually emotionally going through something um, to then put that out. Uh, it's pretty, it's so emotionally raw that it's, I think people need, need to pay attention. It's like um, Bruce Springsteen's uh, album, Nebraska. If you never listened to it and you, and you I, like Bonnie Iver, you should totally what was check I, it out. I was actually reading today. Okay, this yeah. is this is kind of funny that you say that. Okay, so I was going to ask you if you've ever listened to Father John Misty. Follow me here. Sure. Have yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I love that man. Like, like that's probably my, <laughs> like, that's my favorite. Like, every time you kept saying singer-songwriter, like, I've seen him three times. Yeah. And I've, I've been to, like, 30 or so concerts, and by far, he played at a festival, and it was just him with a guitar, and, like, I just cried. Like, I just, yeah. I, I was front row, and... The other times I've seen him, he's at a band with him, so I've like sang and danced. But like when it was that, it was it was in the open air, like uh, it was um it was in Detroit, so it was right on the water, and you could see Canada's lights like on the other side. That's amazing. And like he just sang. It was just him with a guitar, and like I just it was just the most cathartic live experience I've ever had. That's amazing. So that's what I wanted to mention eventually, and why that's funny is he um a while back Ryan Adams covered yeah. taylor swift's album 1989 in its entirety and he said he wanted to make it sound like bruce springsteen's nebraska and then right. <laughs> father john misty covered taylor like a couple taylor swift songs in the vein of the velvet underground because of that that's cool. and so that that's cool. that that's funny that that all ties together but that's what i was thinking about so yeah i do i knew i do know we're talking about with bruce so yeah he he recorded that album like just on a four track tape mm-hmm. and it was just him and a guitar and he uh he really was just recording them as demos to play with his band and right. and he he put it all together and there's like whistling and uh yeah there's it just has like kind of a real rawness to that album and and he played the recordings for his band and i think they actually recorded the album uh, with the full band, hmm. with added instrumentation and the whole thing, and they listened to that finished album and they compared it to his original demos, and everyone was like, you know, these demos are better. <laughs> and so he just put the record out that he originally did with that same sort of rawness um, and kind of unpolishedness in a way that I think for Emma had, and uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Springsteen fan, but that oh. album, that album is, uh, it's actually something Joe Purdy and I referenced early on in our collaboration, oh, yeah. that, that, that sort of raw feeling, raw emotion, uh, we wanted the movie to have that too. Right. Um, so definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm not trying to be a hater. Way, Father John Misty, that, that album, it's Fear Fun, right? Yeah, Fear Fun is his first yeah. one. That, I, I was hooked on that record. My cousin got me that. She got me that album on vinyl, and I hadn't heard of them before. She's like, "You got to listen to this guy." And it, I yeah, just dude. listened to it. On Have you heard for a 
long time. Have you heard the his second and third? Yeah, I Love You, Honey Bear was the second one, right? Yeah, and then Pure Comedy came out last year. And have you heard? I haven't heard his third Dude, one yet. Dude, what? I gotta check it out. I, I know, I'm sorry. I shit you not. It best album 2017. First of all, really? Like, no, you don't. Right, even, I can't even. I'm writing it. I know. I know. I know. I'm writing it. I down seriously right can't now. even express to you. Like, I love the first two. I really do. Fear Fun was more like because you know he has like six albums before Father John Misty. Right. Yeah, Jay Tillman, because his name is Josh Tillman. Right. So right, he right. he did that. Like he had like, he has like six full like singer songwriter sad depressing albums, and then he did that thing where he because Philo John Misty is kind of like a character in a way. So Fear Fun is like yeah. definitely that where it's very comical, and then I Love You Honey Bear is about his wife, and it gets more serious, right. and then Pure Comedy is just oh my god, it's just about humanity, and it's it's an amazing amazing album. Like I gotta check it out. I heard a couple of the songs when he played um, "Off to City Limits" not too yeah. long ago, and I really dug them. But I haven't sat down to listen to the whole album. You really need to. to. I got the um, because I I have I don't have Pure Fun actually because I want to get like a colored version. But I have uh, I got Pure Comedy on vinyl when it came out, and he has like a deluxe version hmm. where it's just I think one one yeah one record's like copper color, the other's like aluminum. So anyways, I was super excited about that. But when I got it, I just played it all the way through and just took out the lyric sheet and just read it. And, like, again, I just weeped. Like, that's great. Like, that's there, there's one song on the on the album called Leaving L.A. that's just 13 minutes long. And, uh-huh. like, it's so good. He just goes off. He's such a talented songwriter. So, yeah, you, like, tonight or, like, tomorrow, like, <laughs> devote some time. Seriously, just take oh, God, take dude. it in. Like it's so good. It's just really powerful. It's really heavy. Like it's it, funny. I I always feel like he's writing about my life in a way. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about the canyon, and I'm pretty sure he's referring to Laurel Canyon, which my wife and I lived in for a while. And and he oh, wow. talks about um nothing ever good happens at the goddamn Fifty yeah. Crow, which is a bar in Silver Lake, and I used to live. <laughs> Uh, before I lived in Little Canyon, I lived in the hills of Silver Lake, right above that bar, which I went That's to crazy. all the time. I feel like he's a, I'm like, God, this guy, I'm pretty sure I've run into this guy before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, something about his music just really, really resonates with me. Yeah, so, I'll check it out for sure. It's such an undertaking to be like, all right, I'm going to make an album on people, humans in general. Yeah. Just gonna go for that, like pure comedy. The title track. If you if if you don't get a chance to listen to, like the whole thing in its entirety, at least just listen to the first song, because yeah, it okay. just sums it up, man. It's so good. Yeah, Ooh. I'm excited about it. He's got yeah. He definitely has like an earnestness to him, but he does it in a but he does it in a funny way. Yeah, like he's such an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> like it's great. I I think it's so great. But he's self aware. Yeah, absolutely. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how pretentious he sounds. <laughs> like, totally transparent. But he calls himself out in those moments where he feels like he's going too far. Yeah, always. And always. there's great value in that, I think. And he's such a cool dude, though, because, like, like, after every show, he'll just, like, shake everybody's hand and be like, thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. So, like... That's great. Like, he knows, he just knows, and I just, I don't know, I appreciate that, because I can... I can see where that, especially like being in being in Fleet Foxes, being the drummer, which is such which is such a safe band, and then making like just typical sad singer songwriter albums, which still are important. But like just to be able to free yourself of that and just come into this new persona, I can definitely see how he acts the way he does and says what he does. Because like once once you've reached that sort of transparency where you say like I don't give a shit, like you know I don't know, I I can respect that definitely. I think it's I think it's tough to put yourself out there in that way and kind of wear your heart on your sleeve or wear your thoughts on your sleeve in a way. And uh, we did that with our movie, and and I hope that people respond to it. You know, we tried to make it as earnestly as possible. Um, I tried to make it as kind of like emotionally raw and vulnerable as possible, and um, I just hope that people, you know. People respond to it in some way, good or bad, whatever it is. I, I definitely think they will, because when I when I watched it, I got the effect, which my favorite movies are the ones where you don't feel like you're watching a movie, you just mm. feel like you're watching 
Like it looks like a documentary, if that makes sense. And that's that's what I felt yeah. when watching it. Is you just feel like you're following people. Like when you when you forget that people are acting, or you forget that this was written, or you forget that any of this was planned. Like those are those are the best movies because you're supposed to get that realistic glimpse. And I think I definitely think that's what it does. So at least I think so. Have you seen um Inside Lewin Davis? Yeah, I have. Because I I've, everything you've said, I've gotten that feeling because that movie is super powerful and super does that where yeah. yeah i think actually the story i heard was that joe purdy the guy in our movie who's a musician yeah um actually was in the discussions to yeah. be the guy I remember in that. that movie um because i think at first they were exploring the possibility of uh getting musicians instead of actors which mm-hmm. is what we ended up doing but um, so when they were first talking about it, I think they modeled that character largely uh, after this guy named Dave Van Ronk, and, and yeah, Joe has yeah. that kind of. Joe has a similar vibe in a certain way. He certainly has his own thing. But um, so I think for a brief moment in time, uh, they had considered Joe Purdy for that movie. That's so but, funny. Uh, he didn't end up doing it. So well, he so got he did this. the next best thing, which is our movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's phenomenal. Like Oscar Isaac still like makes it totally believable and like his voice is just wow wow yeah i agree that that's that's yeah, just, that's just a perfect one of those movies where it just takes that glimpse and i, I think you follow yeah. that for sure yeah i think fans of that film will have an appreciation for yeah American yeah folk for sure well, for sure american folks like the happier version of it i guess <laughs> like it's not a happy yeah, I wouldn't disagree. but i don't disagree with yeah that. Which is odd to say about a film that takes place in the days after nine eleven. Right. But yeah, I think I think I do think our film is is kind of a feel good movie. It's way more and hopeful uh, than dismal, for sure. I think that, I think that's true. I think just look at the sort of two different looks of those movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> Lou and Davis had kind of an intentionally bleak look. Yeah, everything's gray like and a, a very super saturated, colorful, yeah. vibrant look, which was definitely the intention for sure. I think it's so cool that you wrote, directed, and edited it, dude. That's so awesome. Like, I I envy that. Yeah. I you hope, can do it. You I hope so. It. I hope so. I'm actually shooting a short film in February, which I haven't done in a while. And, like, I don't plan it to be big or anything, but, like, I just, I love that. I love exercising my creativeness, creativity independently, where you're not doing yeah. it for an assignment, you're not doing it for anything, like, just to do it, just to get something out there. Absolutely. It's such a... It's such a good feeling. Yeah, that feeling when you feel like you just have a story inside of you that you have to tell. Mm-hmm. And you're 